Cahill Summers. And I'm Deirdre Glenn. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. Pippa Hackett, Minister of State for Land Use and Biodiversity, joins us on the show to discuss the challenges ahead for farming and how we can meet them head on. With organic farming and planting of forestry well behind our national targets, what plans are being put in place to encourage and support farmers to address this challenge? We have some excellent examples of results-based payments projects across the country. However, many farmers do not have access due to the local nature of the projects. Does the government have any plans to make these type of schemes more accessible? With environmental issues very much the fore in agriculture in the last few years, I started off by asking Pippa, what supports will Budget 2022 deliver to farmers to help improve sustainability? We've worked hard to, to, to get the budget we have and look, it's up 2% on last year. And that also includes the, the COVID and Brexit supports of last year. So that's quite a significant achievement. Um, I have to acknowledge my colleague, Minister um, Charlie, Charlie McConlog on that to, to deliver that. Um, look, we've maintained obviously the mainstream um, agri-environmental schemes you know we've got we've continued supports from glass you know bdgp um so you know that that's gives farmers i suppose confidence and security for next year we're still obviously in this transitional period in in advance of the new uh, common agricultural policy which should begin in 2023 but in addition to those uh, measures we also you know i also secured uh, an increase of 5 million for the organic farming scheme look we've huge targets to meet there we're we're, we're going to have to throw a lot of money at it to to incentivize farmers to do that and look there will be we also had um, some very successful small scale farm and biodiversity projects that we funded this year, uh, 24 of them. And I, I was really thrilled to secure another five million for those. We spent three and a half million on the ones this year. So that's going to enable, I think, a lot of exploratory work, innovative work um, on farm and you know involving communities also. And I think that's really invaluable. We've seen the success of some of those larger scale projects, such as the Bride Project and the Hen Harrier and the Curlew. So I think these smaller scale ones give, you know, maybe smaller groups an, an opportunity to, to try out something that they might well know works on their farms, but have never really had the opportunity to do that. So I think there's lots, lots in the budget. I think you're through nearly 630 million or something at scheme work alone and then all the additional stuff in the budget as well. I know probably COVID was a bit of an issue as regards the purse. Would you have liked to have done a bit more, do you think? I don't think so. I think, we, I think we've done a, a, a pretty good job and I think um, look everything all roads are leading to the new uh, common agricultural policy and and you know really I suppose after this budget now the focus absolutely turns to that I mean that process has been ongoing now for the last nearly two years um, in terms of designing a, a new common agricultural policy and what the, the the plan will look like we're coming to the end of that process and um, I think look we'll have exciting developments in that also. Great and you mentioned organic farming and I suppose We've had a podcast with our specialists on this a few weeks ago and Ireland, I suppose, I know you're you're from an organic farm yourself, I think. So our Ireland are probably, I think we're at around 2% compared to our, our European counterparts. We're a good bit behind. Is is there anything, I suppose, that we can do or what, what do you plan to do that are supports and structures to be put in place maybe to try and reach those targets? 
Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, we're really at the bottom of that table across the EU, which is really disappointing because we've a brilliant country and a, an ideal, I would say, um, you know, climate and, and landscape to do much more organic farming. But look, I'm, I'm here to try and change that. Um, we, we, you know, we put extra money into it for 2021 and look why we got you know we we I suppose recruited if you like another 300 odd organic farmers into the scheme we're going to have to really you know double down on that and and ramp up those numbers if we were to attain our program for government commitment you're right the EU uh, commitment is for 25% of the land in the EU on average and um, by 2030 our program for government commitment is is for seven and a half percent which was the EU average at the time of the negotiations but that's still a massive massive task ahead but look we're very committed to do it the department's committed the government's committed to um to, to to reach that target and look it's going to be lots of promotion it's going to you know lots of engagement between farmers peer-to-peer -peer, um knowledge transfer and also look supports in in the way of, of the through the organic farming scheme which we were we have seen extra money put into that for for next year an extra five million and that's gonna that's gonna ramp up and up over the next you know for the common agricultural policy period um as well um and i I think look I think this year was difficult uh, with covid we didn't have any you know far organic farm walks I suppose interaction with farmers was more difficult. And then we had other, other measures that might have uh, enticed farmers another way, for example, the REAP scheme and even the straw incorporation scheme if you're a tillage farmer. But look, the REAP scheme is, is a pilot scheme that, that's not going to be the scheme to necessarily carry on into the, the new common agricultural policy period. So I think, look, it's, it's a challenge. I, I'll admit it's going to be a challenge, but I think it's an exciting challenge. And look, we've got, we're going to have lots of money to put at this. So if farmers want to be in the environmental scheme, sign up for organics. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to make as well from, from our, what we find on the ground. There's a big knowledge gap or knowledge transfer gap in where some farmers are interested, just maybe afraid to take that plunge because it is quite different in the type of farming you have to do. It is. And I think, you know, for, for some farming types and enterprises, it's more difficult than with others. But I mean, I think there's examples all over the country of all types of farming enterprises, you know, having either converted recently to organics or have been organic for for many years, decades, in fact, you know, and and there's there's a huge amount of knowledge there. And I think it is there is there's a fear of change and a fear of doing something different. But with that comes a bit of excitement as well. And, you know, uh, Plenty of organic farmers I meet are, are just delighted. They they took the plunge, if you like, and they've you know they it's reinvigorated their 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 love of farming. For sure, I think Chagask as well as our specialist team are doing you know great work and knowledge transfer and the educational piece um around it as well. I suppose it's as well it's about you know making connections, people getting to meet each other and discuss it and talk about it. Absolutely, and I, just on that, I just to, just to maybe finish. I mean, look, the the work of of advisors here is is absolutely invaluable. Um, but yet that peer to peer thing sometimes just solidifies it for a farmer, right? You know, I've been advised to do this, and I've been shown how I can do it. But you know, hearing it from the horse's mouth makes yeah, it just much more yeah. uh, tangible and, and palatable. Couldn't agree with you more. That's what we always say to farmers that uh, we could say something a million times, but when a farmer does something and, and shows another farm how he did it, look, it, it, it's worth its weight in gold. So the forestry sector, I suppose, at the moment, it has high targets as well for planting and it's struggling, I suppose, to meet those targets at the moment. So how do you, um, in, in, you know, plan to encourage landowners to commit their land to planting? And what trees do you think that we should be planting to meet our biodiversity and carbon targets? 
Yeah, you're right, Deirdre. It's, it is a challenging uh, place at the moment, forestry, and has been for a number of years. Um, look, we are working towards getting forestry on a much more solid footing. Um, we are on the cusp of a new um, forestry strategy for Ireland, you know, which we need to design in, in not only in consultation with direct stakeholders involved in the, in the sector, whether it's industry or, or farmers themselves or landowners. Obviously, the NGO sector is important here. Communities uh, are hugely important. And we've seen, you know, some terrible tales of, of, of situations in different parts of the country, you know, maybe Leitrim, Cavan, Kerry, different areas that where communities just feel obliterated by forestry. So we have to correct all of those. But you're right in terms of, um, I suppose, regaining farmer confidence and, and, and trust in forestry, that, that's, that's a big challenge. Um, I recently had a conversation with the, the Minister of Agriculture in, in Finland, where it's the total opposite, like the, the massive area of, of forestry, maybe 70% of their land is forestry. And, and look, you're not considered to be a farmer in Finland if you don't have forestry, whereas here you're almost considered to be less of a farmer if you have forestry. And there's a big cultural shift required. But I think that could be eased. I mean, you, you asked about what types of trees and that. I think there's opportunity there for farmers to plant much smaller areas on their farms. And look, we see maybe a little bit more of that. We might see more of that in the new agri-environmental schemes as well um you know so it's it's not necessarily always commercial either because i mean i think it's those big blocks of commercial forestry that that really challenge everything challenges the environment sometimes if it's in the wrong place and it's, it's challenging for communities and it's it's to be honest i want to recognize farmers who have planted in the past because now they're sometimes portrayed as you know the bad guys here you know they 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 took the plunge maybe 10 15 20 years ago longer and now it's there's such negative connotations around forestry and i i just want to say look you know keep going because look, we put our faith in you as a state to do that and we, you know we we will hopefully be here to support you as you as you come out of that i think perhaps i mean the program for government commitments around forestry are quite broad um, and there's a lot of lot of I think the general direction we're looking at is try to, you know, establish a more close to nature type of forestry and one that's multifunctional. So um, and maybe part of that is more of a continuous cover model rather than the sort of short rotation cropping we see. I mean, I say short rotation, you're talking 30, 30 years, but, you know, it's, it's the it up and then clear felling is 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 a challenge and that's a huge challenge on the environment as well and when people grow up even with a very big commercial forest near them and then it's clear felled it's quite traumatic for people who live around that you know so there's all sorts of angles here to look at but i think certainly more small scale planting i think agroforestry we have not really touched in this country at all you know very small amounts of it whereas over you know throughout europe it's quite widespread and that mixing of, of of crops or stock with trees i think we have to embrace that and and more small scale planting and just really try and change that cultural um attachment or disattachment for for, for forestry in this country it'll take time but i think we, we can do it if we you know if we consult enough and engage enough and, and listen enough i think it can be done I think a lot of people kind of realize now that we we did we made mistakes where we put forest in the past, be it on blanket bog or whatever, but we're ref, rectifying those at the moment. I suppose the big thing I would find is that a farmer thinks that you put a forest in, it's for life and the land is gone forever. And that's probably that kind of, that change of mindset you're thinking of. Um, yeah, I think so. And I think if you thought, um, if you think about a longer term, I mean, if you thought that actually planting trees on your land was 
potentially adding value to it in the longer term, you know, uh, rather than maybe just up to 30, 35 years time. And then then you're sort of, OK, you get an, a very big lump sum and that that's wonderful at the time. But then you're plunged back into it again. And it's your it's your children's generation then who have to maybe wait and, and wait for that. So I think if there was a slightly more continuous um, model adopted, I think then you're you're always getting something from your forest. You know, once it's established and you're 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 taking timber out of it every couple of years, I I think that might be an easier um, easier approach. And look, that's what's done in a lot of European countries. They're far more established than we are. We're very young forestry here, and that's part of the difficulty as well. You know, we have to shoot it all up and reach all these targets for 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 afforestation, um, and maybe not thought about what what it meant in, in, in 30 or 40 years time. And we have to make those decisions now. So what's forestry going to look like in Ireland over the next 50 and 100 years um, and, and get that on a really good, solid, uh, uh, I suppose, you know, really, really good footing. Yeah. Yeah. Look, there's so many co-benefits. Eh? Even where we talk to a lot of people in the podcast here, you're talking everything from having trees in the farm for buzzards, for, for rodent control and owls. Um, even stuff from control ammonia emissions, if you have it around the farmyard, it's very beneficial. And from a self endurance, we often talk about water quality as well, trying to, I suppose, break pathways. It's really helpful. But just going back to something you said a few minutes ago, Pippa, about results-based payment schemes. And I know you mentioned the Bride Project, and there's lots of really good ones around the country. Um, we're big fans of them. I think they work really well. The one thing I don't like about them is the fact that they're very, um, I suppose, selected for certain areas. So say, for example, there's certain counties you don't have the option to get into them because the scheme just doesn't happen to be in their area. So do you have any plans going forward? Or are we are we kind of waiting for CAP to see what comes up or will, will we roll them out maybe to try and incorporate more of the mainstream farmers across the country? Um, no, I think you raise a good point, and I suppose the, the background to many of those um, results-based were, were landscape-based approaches. So you, the Bride obviously was a catchment area, um, like the Hen Harrier areas are specific areas, and they're, they're massive areas because the Hen Harrier itself has a, quite a large, uh, you know, territory, if you like, and where it hunts and, and nests and so forth. So I suppose they were based around specific either habitats or species. And um, But there's no real reason why you couldn't have any a results-based payment for other areas that may not have a, a special species, because you can, there's results-based payments you could do for any sort of water quality measure. Um, you can results-based payment. I mean, if you look at the REAP scheme, I mean, the results-based payments around that are in terms of hedgerow quality or, or trees, or if you've delivered on a on a for example like a multi-species sward I mean that that's a result and if you connect that with whatever environmental outcome you're looking at you know you're sort of there and you, you don't necessarily always have to have a, a special a special habitat or be in an SPA or whatever so I think I think there's um I think there absolutely should be options around that and I think for many of the farmers well you know most of the ones in, in most of those schemes have been they might have been a bit tentative at the start getting involved because people didn't quite know how, how am I going to get paid and, and what will I get paid for. But I think the ones that have in, engaged with it really get it. And I don't think it's a difficult concept to get once you're in it and you see it. But I think for you know most of the farmers in the country aren't really in a, any results based scheme. So it, it is going to be a little bit of a, I suppose, a challenge to bring everyone on board. But I don't see why we can't have more results based outside of, as you say, those very specific areas or, or landscapes. Um, because, I mean, ultimately, at, at, at the end of the day, I'd love to see the whole country have some sort of special feature, even if it's not, a you know, it doesn't mean you can't farm. We absolutely have to farm 
and we but we absolutely have to farm you know in tune with nature and it can be done we've seen it we've seen it working in certain areas and there's no reason why we can't see that across the country I think it's a good thing as well that we're, we're moving away from those prescriptive type of schemes as well yeah you know? absolutely and I think look we've seen EU, EU auditor reports haven't been very kind on on a number of our schemes and I think we have to really take cognizance of that I mean at the end of the day we're, we're spending taxpayers money and taxpayers want their money yes to go to farmers absolutely support farmers but to deliver more in the environment and um we have to be cognizant of that because you know a reform at EU level could could shift around that that funding if it's so desired, you know. And I think that we really have to make it work for us. And I think we can. Yeah, and look, a farmer, if he puts something, implements something on his farm, he wants it to work or she wants it to work for them as well. Uh, it's important to have self a sense of achievement, even or to get something done. Absolutely. And I must say, just the sense of it. Um, look, recently on our own farm, for example, we 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 saw a young, a juvenile owl which we haven't seen, you know, my husband's been there since he's a child and he's maybe seen one flying along the road three miles away. And he was just the sense of, oh my goodness. And we don't know what we've done, if you like, to, to, to bring an owl, in, a breeding pair of owls onto our farm. But whatever we're doing seems to be working. But now we're going to actively pursue that. And we've had bird watching different groups and they're going to help us put bird, you know, owl boxes up and stuff. But I think that sense of like we've got an owl and you don't have an owl and uh, <laughs> I think all farmers get a little bit possessive over what's on their farm and I think oh, I'll be I very see that with the, yeah absolutely you know and so if you you know rather than worrying about maybe how much grass you're growing let's see what what you know you, what else you've got on your farm that you can you can boast about uh, we have barn owls here Pippa oh, do you <laughs> dear, I'll have to find some other bird now <laughs> even, uh, even ch there's a chick buzzard outside my window I'll ch I'll, the noise of them for this summer but it's great it's great to see it, you're, you're dead right it, it's just it's lovely to see it around the farm and they're all i mean i suppose what what maybe people many farmers might understand it's not that you've got a barn owl it's an indicator species of a, a very hopefully healthy ecosystem that there's plenty of voles or mice or whatever he might be hunting on and uh i think it's just you know that if you can get that sort of level of understanding and knowledge that that's why it's important to have that because it means everything else is is, is in line that's 100%. I think I think there, there's something exciting in that for all farmers, you know. That's true. Um, we know how important rewetting and rehabilitation of our bogs is, you know, to carbon sequestration and biodiversity. So how do you hope um, to achieve on this? Well, look, the government, I mean, the, the climate action plan is going to have, you know, big, uh, I suppose, ambitions in relation to the, I suppose the re-wetting of, of farmed peaty soils and look I appreciate that it's a bit of a strikes a bit of fear into farmers and what's going to happen and my my field's going to be flooded and that and I think it it, it 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 I don't think it necessarily is that I think it's about a lower intensity management it, you know okay it might be blocking drains but and you mightn't have you know cattle out 24 7 all year round I mean they probably don't anyway but it might be a bit more sensitive way to manage that land and it's about again getting at least firstly you need to I suppose get the buy-in but it's the buy-in comes with understanding why why we're doing it um look I, I launched at the end of last year and actually into this year the two I suppose project or pilot project EIPs in the Midlands looking specifically at um you know how we how we manage drained peaty soils and I suppose that was the terminology around it it's about management rather than it's not about abandoning and walking away it needs managed to, to be functional um, and, you know, I suppose th those results will help inform us over the next number of years as to what works. Again, part of this is working with farmers and seeing what 
you know, they understand their land better than anyone. They'll know where the really wet bits are or where they maybe even saw a wader, for example. This could be about supporting biodiversity as well as dealing with, you know, carbon emissions. Um, and, and even, for example, um, uh, there's a very special ecological area where where like a, a mineral soil would meet a, a peaty soil in a sort of transitional area it's called and there's good examples around for example Clara Bog in County Offaly where you have a really intact relatively intact raised bog uh, but you have farms on eskers literally around it and you know 100 200 meters from the edge of the raised bog you have mineral soils which are managed in a fairly standard way you know because it's it's growing perfect grass and you know there's cattle on it but that there's a special area that transition between the the raised bog and and the, and the mineral soil that it's of a high special ecological status so, so some of that work is going to be looking at how we we manage that and again it's all in it's all to inform us in the years ahead um, and I would, I suppose I would anticipate some sort of rewetting um, low intensity management scheme, uh, you know, in the next round of the, the, the cap. Um, but again, we don't have really many details on that just yet. But I think, look, we're going to have to look a bit more at that. It is a commitment that the Climate Action Plan wants us to deliver on. But, you know, we'll work with farmers and, and listen to them and, and see how we can do that. Yeah, I think farmers would appreciate that, definitely. Yeah, I think so. And I think nothing, I mean, I think what I've learned... A lot of you know in the last year and a half but i mean certainly when you speak with farmers in, in upland areas who were sort of plonked with a designation and they never were told why really they were never it was never explained to them why and it you just want to avoid anything like that you know it's not it's not fair um it's it's not the way to do things and sometimes when when things are explained like to any of us if we're explained anything in advance it makes it, it makes it easier and we understand it more fully instead of just getting told so um, with COP or the Conference of Parties starting um, at the end of October, we'd love to meet up with you again, um, Pippa, to discuss it and to hear what progress has been made at it. Um, so Pippa, thank you very, very much for taking time out from your extremely busy schedule to chat with us today. Thanks a million, Pippa. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thank you, Deirdre. Thank you, Carl. That's it for this episode of the Chagas Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Pippa Hackett, Minister of State for Land Use and Biodiversity, for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Carl Summers. And I'm Deirdre Lane. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.